This morning's Old Testament reading is a couple of verses from the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is written there. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, Open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the gospel according to Matthew in the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 9 and continuing through verse 13. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and the disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he, Jesus, said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. There is an interesting and creative backstory told in the series The Chosen, which we have been watching episode by episode in the Sunday School Hour that details the relationship between Jesus and Matthew prior to his admittance to the band of disciples. In this imagined context, Matthew had been among the spectators at the shore of the Sea of Galilee when the empty nets of Peter had suddenly been filled with fish, and he had also been present among the spectators when the the paralytic had been healed, who had been lowered through the, the roof of the house where Jesus was teaching. And it was clear in both cases to the onlookers who and what had precipitated these miracles. In this depiction, Matthew took it all in and was trying to process that which he had seen. He was troubled by these puzzling events, and his logically-oriented mind wanted more information about it. I can imagine if, if we had been witness to these sudden and superabundant catches of fish and this healing of a man paralyzed since youth, we would have many questions about what we had seen as well. Well, sometime later, Jesus comes by this 
place of work of Matthew, his tax booth, and invites him to follow me. It, it was not then in, in this uh, fictitious history that the two had met. Now, whether Matthew had any previous interactions with Jesus or not, the call story of Matthew is nonetheless remarkable, and that's what opens this morning's reading, just a single sentence about it. Here is a rabbi, a religious teacher, a respected theological leader of his people, who invites an outcast from his society to be a part of his very inner circle. This man, Matthew, was a collaborator with the occupying forces of Rome, much like the Vichy French government during the Second World War, or those who are in positions of authority in the Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine today. His unconventional nature was both one of the most endearing and the most maddening things about this Jesus. Those who responded to his call to follow did so in part out of a desire to better understand just what it was he was up to. On the other hand, I don't know if we can say all, but certainly most of the religious leaders and influencers of his day were not very sympathetic to the teachings and the practices of Jesus. And this was in part on account of their own self-satisfaction and their desire to maintain their own control and power. Jesus didn't spend time in a rabbinical school studying the Torah. He did not mentor under another rabbi. He had not taken any ordination exams or the equivalent back then. The authorities had not put their stamp of approval on him. He was, after the manner of his kinsman John the Baptizer, a wild card which the Jerusalem temple keepers could not exert control over. And he was obviously not a very observant Hebrew. Even those with a most rudimentary knowledge of the scriptures knew that the things which could make one ritually unclean were the things that a devout Jew would seek to religiously avoid. But in the case of Jesus, it was almost as if the rules didn't apply for him. Generations upon generations of study and practice and interpretation of the hundreds now of Levitical laws were out the windows in the words and the deeds of this carpenter's son from Nazareth. And there he goes again in this morning's New Testament reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. He's at a dinner party, perhaps at Matthew's home. He's reclining at table with many, the text tells us, tax collectors and sinners who came and sat with him and his disciples. Now, either they heard reports of the gathering and went to see for themselves or they also had been on the guest list for this event, but in either case, some representatives of the Pharisees were also in attendance at this meal, 
and they were shocked, shocked, I say, at what they saw in this room. All about them, sinners and tax collectors. And rather than just confront Jesus directly, the Pharisees instead take a sidebar with the disciples. Now, I'm not claiming to be an expert in psychology, but it, it almost seems as if this might be the route one might go if one was hoping to sow some dissension in the ranks, as it were, placing seeds of doubt on the habits and the directions of Jesus' ministry, or perhaps uh, getting them to turn some evidence against their teacher. And whether Jesus sought to parry the, the Pharisees' subterfuge, or whether he just wanted to protect his friends from being put on the spot, Jesus, who overhears this clandestine questioning, immediately issues a reply to the inquisitors. And then, adding insult to injury, he rebukes the self-righteous, learned religious folks by telling them that they should go recheck their work on biblical interpretation when he advises them to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting the words God delivered not through his servant Moses, the lawgiver, but through his servant, the prophet Hosea, who brought God's living word to God's people. Here he issues a not-so-veiled rebuke of the whole institutional system the Pharisees represent, a system of structures and hierarchies and sacrifices that has evolved into a legalistic conglomerate that is now far removed from the original intent of the words given to Moses on the stone tablets following the exodus from Egypt. The Israelites had come a long way from those days in the desert. In many ways, their lives were better than those of their ancestors, but in other ways, perhaps not as much. For generation after generation after generation, God has said his people prophets, calling them to repent of their ways, to turn back to God and his teachings. Who needs help? Well, it seemed that God thought the people did. But time and time again, the attention that was paid to God's messengers was fleeting at best. Eventually, the people were right back to their former ways of living. And I dare say that the same may well be said of us. As a race, as a society, as the church, the body of Christ. We've come a long way from our beginnings. In many respects, the advances we have made have been quite good. In other respects, they've been not quite as good. We have made great progress, and we have made great mistakes as a world, as a people, as the bride of Christ. We were not, were we not, there would have been no need for God himself to put on flesh and dwell with us, to set in motion this reconciliation between himself and his covenant partners. But just as today, the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought they had it under control. So Jesus was willing, for the time being, to not play in their sandbox. 
His ministry was not going to be about the affairs of the religious elite in Jerusalem, but about pretty much anything else and everyone else. Those who would recognize that they aren't all that and who are therefore ready, willing, and able to hear what he has to tell them. For I have come, he says, to call not the righteous, but sinners. Who needs help? Certainly not those who had it all figured out. The Messiah had come, but they didn't need that kind of Messiah, one who would reconcile sinners. They needed a Messiah to rain down fire on the Romans. God seems to have viewed that as a less pressing matter. In fact, we just saw that conversation take place in our Sunday school lesson, watching the episode of The Chosen. Uh, Perhaps so many of the mountains that we see before us in the eyes of God are rather insignificant molehills. There's a lot of things we would like God to do, but God has an agenda. And it's a very focused agenda. And the needs that he he is addressing are so much greater than the needs we think we have. Just as Jesus called on the Pharisees to ponder what it meant that God desired less of what they had gotten good at and more of what they didn't practice much, perhaps it may also serve as a call for each of us to consider who needs help. We know that people far and wide are starving for the good news. Providentially, just this week, we received this letter from Steve Adkins, our ministry co-worker here on the shore, telling us about what he's been up to and the miraculous ways that God has been working in and through these people in Salisbury. And I will leave this letter on the table here in the narthex so you can see it for yourself. Also this week, a second update came along to reinforce this notion of need. Another reminder that there is a universal desire for reassurance, for reassurance of God and for reassurance of God's mercy and God's love. As is my habit, every so often I have a look at the reporting data from the service that we use to host and distribute our musical recordings, which are made just about every week uh, from the, the anthems that are presented by the choir here on Sunday. And something quite unusual and I thought noteworthy showed up in this latest batch of statistics I was looking at. On Wednesday, the 6th of June, folks from 37 different countries representing every continent except Antarctica listened a total of 153 times to our anthem, Arise, Your Light Has Come. That's more than five times the number of people who were in this sanctuary 
when it was performed live here. And even more incredibly, the vast majority of these listens, 111 of them, in fact, were by people in the majority Muslim countries of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Indonesia. Yes, there are, of course, American expats working and living in these countries, but the subscriber names associated with the accounts that played this track of ours were Arabic. And yes, there are Arab Christians in these places as well, and there's no way to know the religious affiliation of these in our listening audience. But the point is that these are not the sort of people that we are accustomed to sharing the good news of Jesus with in word or deed or song. Now, Steve's letter from Salisbury corroborates this with the interaction he has had with those from other faith backgrounds. This hasn't been part of our target audience as most of our mission and ministry endeavors have been for those here on the shore or for those Christian agencies that are working in disaster relief uh, nationally or internationally. But it, it shows there's a need for help, a, a hunger and a thirst for this message that is being felt beyond our own families, our friends, and our neighbors on the shore. And unless we are the modern-day Pharisees, I would submit that we too know that we also are in need of help. For we realize that despite appearances sometimes, we don't have it all figured out, and we can't do this all on our own. And that's not the way that we were made to live in covenant by God anyhow. We need to hear repeated to us God's words revealing his mercy and his love for us, calling us to share that love and that mercy with each other. For this knowledge and this calling, we may truly say, thanks be to God. And amen.